Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Welcome to another episode of the Gangster Chronicles. And we got a friend of the show on again. You guys have seen him a couple times on the show. Very well received. Very important part of West Coast hip hop. Um, I, I would almost be remiss to say that without him, there might not be a lot of the Dr. Dre's and the Snoop Dogg's and these different iconic figures, man, that have graced our landscape over the last 20, 30 years in SoCal. Lonzo, what's happening, bro? What's up with you, man? I'm hanging out, man. It's doing what I do. Just doing what you do, man. You know, we were talking, man, before the show started, man, but just about, um, I would say, the good old days of Compton, man. Um, <clears throat> and, of course, you blew, you grew up on the Red Rag side of town, correct? Yes, sir. Let's talk about it a little bit, man. How did you avoid the pitfalls of becoming a gangbanger? 
Well, you know, when uh, I grew up in Compton, man, um, well, I grew up just outside of Compton. Let's keep it 100. I grew up in Anthens off of uh, Main and El Segundo. And uh, I didn't qualify to be a gangster at that time. I was a skinny kid. I was a skinny Catholic school kid. Back then, you had to have the qualifications. Uh, you had to be able to thump, as they say. Um, but because I, oh, let me turn this one for But because um, when I got to high school, I always had access to a vehicle, and that put me in good light with the homies. So every time we wanted to go to want to go to a dance, Captain Little Park, or something like that, either I drove and they rolled back with me, or I take we drove rode, rode to school together. So. Back then, your homies looked out for you. If you wasn't with the with, with the business, they you know they make sure nobody jumped on you. And even I had fights with it. I had fights like everybody else. But because I wasn't, um, I wasn't one of them. The I wasn't on the team per se. Because back then it was about quantity, quality, not quantity. Okay, and we didn't have a lot of numbers in my neighborhood. So nobody came to gangsters. It wasn't a big gang, wasn't a big number. And um, I was just able to do it. Plus, my old man was well respected in the community. My mom was respected in the community. And back then, my mom, she didn't run my neighborhood per se, but she had a lot of influence and she just didn't take shit. And she wouldn't let me hang out in certain places. And people knew if they saw me coming at a certain time, man, get that nigga out of here. I, mean, I don't hear the mama's mouth. And that was real shit back then. That was real shit. So, when did your infatuation with music come? Like, how old were you first came? Man, I w I've always been infatuated with music. My daddy uh, from Mississippi, so he listened to a lot of blues, Ray Charles, and shit like that. My mom was from uh, Louisiana, so I had a jazz influence. My sister, I have an older sister, uh, she was into the R&B, so depending on whose car you was in, depending on what you was exposed to. So I was exposed to everything as a kid. I learned to sing Three Dog Night and Janis Joplin. Uh, I like Cannonball Adderley. I like B.B. King, Ray Charles, J Jane Brown, Dramatics. So it's always been something for me in my house, man. So it was always, I was always exposed to different types of music, and it just, uh, it just stuck with me. And going to a Catholic school, Back in the day of St. Albert, shit, uh, on a Friday afternoon, after they gave us some fish sandwiches, we have a dance in the gym. So we like 12, 13 years old, dancing in the gym. That was 25 cents for the sock hop. So I've always been around that kind of stuff. So, you know, it just it was, a, for me, it was a natural progression. Okay, so now during that time when y'all had the sock ups and these different functions, were there a gang, was there a gang presence at these dances? You know, it might have been a little something, something. It wasn't really a gang per se, but some cats they, they would do. You would get jammed, okay? If you came to the set and was uh, came to the dance and was doing too much good dancing, or had too cute, or looking too good, the homies would jam your ass. I had a buddy of mine got jammed one day for no reason other than he was dancing in a circle, and they didn't like the way he was dancing. He was getting too much attention from the girls, and they up. And uh, roughed him up real quick and just ran back. And he looked up, didn't know, what, didn't know who hit him, but he got hit by about five, six cats just to let him know he's doing too much. Oh, for sure. What's the most dangerous experience you've had with gangs as far as when you were coming up? Oh, man. Probably was at the Watch Stacks, man. Watch Stacks. I was 16 years old. That was probably my roughest experience. Tookie and, them, Tookie and Jamel had just uh, started making a name for themselves. Watch Stacks jumped off. And they had a thing at the, uh, had a big ass concert at the uh, Coliseum. And the deal was, uh, y'all can stay in the stands, 
but you can't come on the dan- on on the field to party because I think either the Raiders or the Rams. I don't know who it was back then. The football team of that of that era had a game the next day, and we didn't want the field messed up for people dancing. And no matter what happened, as soon as the band started playing with Barcades, Joe Tex, Staple Singers, uh, I think Isaac Hayes was the main was the main uh, main headliner. Um, people run down to the damn stage and start, you know, to the field, start dancing. They stopped the show. And at one point in time, uh, Jesse Jackson, and they, they didn't put this in the, in the video. I was there. I give a fuck what they said. I was there. Jesse Jackson told the Crips to form a human chain around the perimeter of the field at the uh, Coliseum. I said to myself, that's a bad idea. Sure enough, it was a fucked up idea. And people started running down to go past the Crips. The Crips ain't had no reputation yet. And they was whooping people's ass. Okay. Police. The police. LAPD said, fuck it. They went up and stood behind the, up, up, up by, the, uh, by the sign. They said, if y'all going to do that, we, ain't, we can't help y'all. And after, after they realized it was a bad idea, they eventually brought the police back down, told them, brothers, y'all can't handle this right here. And there's two things I learned that day. I learned something that day. One, uh, the Crips hadn't, didn't have a reputation yet. And two, it became like a mob mentality because back then there wasn't a whole lot of Crips. But to keep niggas from get, <laughs> niggas to keep their jackets from getting stolen, they was joining the Crip. They was doing honorary Crip volunteer work that day. <laughs> Hey, let, let me ask you this because you've been around. What year was this that this happened? Man, I think it was like 72, 73. 72, 73. So you didn't grow up with just the running the mill people. You grew up with, with the. Nigga, I, I grew up with. When they was trying to figure. I grew up with an era when they was trying to figure out what Crips stood for. The news was trying to figure out what does Crips stand for. Is it because they Crips their hair? Because they had because Crips used to carry canes and shit. Because they was crippled? Or then, then, then the brothers came up with a came up with an acronym like community uh, reparations and progress or something like that, something to that effect. I, I believe it's community revolutionary. Thank you. Uh, that's that was that was it. That was, that's what it became. But that kind of th- went out the window at some point in time, and it just became just Crips. And uh, I remember when Homeboy got stomped out at this at the Palladium for leather, the first leather jacket killing at the Palladium. Okay, Soul Train event. And so, yeah, dude, I remember all that shit. I was a kid. I'm reading this shit. This shit's on the news. And you was in a red rag side of town. Right. And so you grew up with, did you, did you grow up with Puddin? Grew up with Puddin. Puddin, reason why I left Centennial. Tell us about that. He forced you out of Centennial. <laughs> I, I, Puddin, Puddin, Donald Garrett, and a couple other cats why I left Centennial. Uh, I was in ROTC. Um, ROTC back, back then was a good way to keep from having to dress for gym. And our second year of ROTC, I was a battalion commander. I had over 300 kids behind me every parade. Me and my me and my staff was walking through the fucking senior square. We we high signing, and the Paru boys had a bench right there at the senior square. We walking past, not bother nobody, and they jumped in our faces, and they asked us where you where you where you pop our motherfuckers going, and he was talking specifically to one of my partners. Uh, Andre, tall, redhead brother, light skin, freckles. And like I told you earlier, he looked like, he looked like Blake Griffin. And six foot four, tall brother. Uh, Drago looking motherfucker. And he was my lieutenant. And uh, he stuttered. And he said, why Why we got to be some Popeye motherfuckers? And the fight broke out. Bam, 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 bam. Security guards in the Jeep pull up. Whoop, broke the fight up. A couple days later, 
we cut into Enterprise Park, going to the pad. He lived on the Prilla. He lived on, I think, no, he lived on, uh, I think he lived on the Prilla. I lived on 132nd. So we come to Enterprise Park. Enterprise Park turned right into 132nd. I go to the pad. Well, we come to Enterprise Park like we always do. And we see Puddin', Donald Garrett, and a couple of the cats. And my partner, Kenny Clay, was on the bench right there in front of the gym at uh, Enterprise Park. We got two choices. We could run. Or we could just walk past these cool, like walk, 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 walk past these brothers like ain't nothing happened, like everything is cool. We tried to walk past them. They wasn't going for it. So they finna jump us. They finna jump us. My partner, Kenny Clay, anybody, because Kenny Clay, he, he ain't in the stories of the gangbangers. He ain't in the stories with putting in other, all the other cats that was back in the day. Kenny Clay lived directly across the street from me. His grandmama and my mama went fishing together every day. Kenny Clay, when he first got to... Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett or how the Yeah Yeah Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. 
Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. California, he's from New York. When he got to California, we said, shoot pool in my backyard. He knew me very well. My mama, we, we had a connection. Um, he said, y'all can't jump on them. Because, see, back then, the, the gangsters was real. They was real. I wasn't into this shit, but he's like, hey, man, y'all can't jump on them. Y'all got to go head up. So uh, my boy and Mr. Garrett decided to go head up. What I didn't know and nobody knew is that my partner, six foot four, redhead, light-skinned, freckle-faced dude from Compton, had been taking boxing lessons because he ain't getting picked on as some regular shit for his ass. He was he uh, had uh, took on took and took boxing lessons, and he did much better than he was supposed to. I wish a nigga had took a dive, okay? But the nigga did much better than he was supposed to. And when we left, the homies was laughing at their boy. They was laughing, and uh, we next day of school, one of the girls that lived on Pyro was in my homeroom class. She told me, she said, I don't know what y'all did at Enterprise Park yesterday. But they talking about killing, shooting anybody in ROTC. No problem. Got to go. Okay. That was my last day at Centennial High School. Now, I, huh? I ran into putting a couple times at Clark's Drugs. And it wasn't no big deal. And it was just me and him, though. And I'm not saying what, I'm not going to say nothing because I don't want anybody to get the misunderstanding. Oh, man, he was a lot, blah, 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 blah. Everybody was human, man. Everybody's human and everybody had their times when they was they was notorious. And sometimes nigga just, all right, man, all right, man, and keep on going. Now it's one of them times. We was we was both on the same page. He was walking out of Clark's drugs. I was walking in. I saw him. He looked at me. I looked at him. I recognized him. I was scared. He was like, cool, cool. And I, that was it. They never came to Eve after dark. 
They never came around. I don't remember, I don't remember coming to Eve After Dark. Now, the brothers who came to Eve After Dark that had my back from Pyru was Yellow Ice. Anybody know Yellow Ice? Yellow Ice ain't no joke. He was one of my homies, still my homie right to this day. And he was one of the brothers that when I had uh, when I had uh, Eve After Dark and Dudos, they had my back the whole time. He said, hey, man, I love what you're doing. Appreciate what you're doing. Blah, blah, blah. It's good for the folks in the community. Let me in. Let some of my homies in. We got you. And that's what kept the lid on Eve After Dark most of the time. That was it. Let, let's go back then because um, so we talking about you, man. Why you left Centennial High School during that time? Now, when did you decide to go into the club business? How did how did this whole transformation occur? I want to get into details. <laughs> you know what? Going into the club business, man, was another fucking accident, man. I was uh, DJing fresh out of Centennial. I, I, I'm sorry, after left Centennial, I went to Gardena. I graduated from Gardena High School, and uh, when I was going for graduation, they asked you what you wanted to do when you got out of high school. They had a little pamphlet come around, and uh, I checked off radio DJ. I didn't think I was going to get it because I talked funny, and I really had stuttered and shit, and I got a scholarship to go to broadcast school. By the time I got out of high school, disco was in full blast. By the time I got to broadcast school, disco was in full extra blast. In fact, most of the records I played in broadcast school was disco records. So when I got out of school, wasn't no black discos. Only discos they had was white folks discos in, in uh, uh, North Hollywood and uh, Burbank and shit. What year was this? This is like 76, 77. 76. I, got a, I left school in 75. 70, 75, the summer of 75, I got my broadcast license in 76. So, yeah, 76. Uh, Disco Alonzo was born in 76. It was created in 76. And uh, I just named myself Disco Alonzo because that was the hottest thing going at the time. And I started booking myself at a lot of different parties, mostly wedding receptions, baby showers, and started doing dances. And uh, it was just one of them things, man. I got a job at a record sh at, a, uh, at Kenny Shoes over in Compton. Worked there for a while. Then I got another job at uh, this place called Record Shack in Compton over off of Walnut. And uh, it was always confusing because people think Walnut is all Carson. It's not. The, part, the side I, I was on, on the east side of uh, Wilmington, well, east, part of, east side of Central, was, was Compton. And I sold records over the phone, me and my boy uh, Roger Clayton from Uncle Jam's Army. That was one of our jobs we had together. That's how we really got tight. We both worked at this record distributor selling records. And he had the idea, I'm not going to take credit for his idea, to do dances at the Alpine Village. But I had the sound system. I was a DJ. I had a truck, had sound, had sound system speakers, the whole nine yards. And man, you be the DJ, I'll promote the show, blah, blah, blah. And we did that shit for a few times, and it was real successful. And one day, uh, I lived off of uh, on Carlton Avenue, off 132nd in Carlton. My mom had just died. She died when I was 19. And I took over her house. My dad had me moving to her house and nobody would break in and steal shit. I scared the motherfucker half the time. And um, he came to the pad. He had a key. It was his house, technically. And he saw me with about five, $600 across the bed. I'm counting money and shit. But also, everybody in my neighborhood was selling dope. And my old man has never been, he ain't never supported the dope thing at all. He's finna fuck me up. Nigga, are you selling dope? Blah, blah, blah. I got more money on my bed than he made last two weeks of this job. No, 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 Pops, this is what's happening. I'm doing Alpine Village. And like the daddies of them days, he came out and checked on me, see what I was doing. He came through Alpine, and we was cracking that night. 
And he asked me about the business, how much was I paying for the room and what was we doing and blah, blah, blah. When I gave him the business uh, plan for Alpine, like a thousand, I think we was paying like 700 bucks for one night. $700 one night. Ah, damn. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me talk to my buddy. Well, my daddy and Jeffy, got to own uh, Jeffy's on Avalon Segundo, they was drinking buddies. And Jeffy had just built the second floor to his uh, club. And uh, it was supposed to be after hours, but it wasn't doing that much. And uh, my old man took me to meet Jeffy. Now, I've been doing Jeffy all my life, but I never I knew him as Mr. Jeffy. I didn't know him as a business partner, a landlord. I knew him as the old man living on the, up the hill there. But uh, he took a liking to me. And him and my old man sit there and got drunk. And cut a deal for me to take Eve up to dark. Now, when I got Eve up to dark, I was only going to get it maybe once or twice a week, a month. I wasn't trying to be an every weekend thing. But that was the, tr that was the trick bag. Okay, if you want it, you got to take it every week, Friday and Saturday. Nigga, say what? I, ain't, I, I don't know. My money ain't that strong. But I had a backer. And she backed me up on the deal. And uh, we went in there for the first few weeks. We were struggling for a minute. But then uh, shortly after that, man, the word got out. That motherfucker jumped off. But yeah, I was within, I was in Eve trying to just be a regular dance promoter one, two days a week. Uh, you know, not, you know, but one, two days a month, no big deal. Ended up with a club at 22 years old. Yep, 22. Let me ask you this, Lawrence, where this peak, how much was you bringing in the night at the door? Man, we was charging, sometimes we charged as low as $0.99, and I still made two, three thousand dollars <laughs> We charge 99 cents sometimes from from uh, from uh, 99.30, and at 8.45, you couldn't get in the gas station. You could not get to the United Gas Station. They'd be lined up that thick. The gas station manager come up a few times. Mr. William, could you please have them have a guard or somebody curve them so we can get sell gas? It was like that, okay? And uh, But after 9.30... After 9.30, it was 5, whatever the case may be. But the key to Eve After Dark success what, wasn't so much the, the amount of money, the, the turnover we had. And I didn't realize that till later on because the Eve opened at 9.30, sometime 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. But we stayed open till like 5 or 6 in the morning. Mm. So the kids would come in early. I pick up a pick up a, 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 a rack then, a couple of racks then. And then the after party started. And depending on what was going on, if there was a, a big dance or a big concert, I had the after party. You bring a ticket stub to the after party, it's $3. Wow, man. So you was up there making So We was doing fantastic, man. Shit. I was balling out of control. And they never sold nothing but some but tickets. Okay, let me ask you this. When did you start getting, when did the idea for the world class record come to you? <sighs> Just like anything else, man, uh, shit starts getting old. And the Eve started slowing down, okay? After about three years, about 82, 83, 83, Eve started having, like, you know, other clubs started happening, blah, blah, blah. So I started having ideas on how to keep the, keep, keep the excitement coming on. You know, it's like any other relationship. You got to keep it, keep it exciting. So I started bringing in acts. All my buddies were in the music business. So I, I, I was able to contact Russell Simmons. He gave me, got me Curtis Blow. Later on, I, I contacted my buddy, other buddy. He got me, or I mean, sorry, uh, Russell Simmons got me Curtis. Then he also had his brother and his partners. They was just coming up, run DMC. He gave me run DMC for $500 in plane tickets. So I got run DMC at Eve After Dark on a Friday. But they fucked around and played for Uncle Jam's Army on a Saturday. I was mad at the motherfucker. What?
the fuck you gonna pay? I, I done bought the tickets, paid y'all, and y'all gonna work for this, my, my competition. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. 
It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. The next night, and the night that night they played at Eve of the Dark, Ron got this thing about dropping microphones. And he broke my microphone. That pissed me off again. So when he broke my microphone, I'm like, you know what, man? I ain't. And then they go across town to play for my enemy too. Nah, I ain't fucking with it. I ain't doing this no more, man. So I just started. I'm gonna make my own goddamn group. The, the show was 15 minutes long. I paid 500 dollars, bought three plane tickets. They was they wasn't that well known yet. They was cool, but they wasn't that well known. And the fact that he broke my microphone and played for Uncle Jam's army right after that, I was like, dude, I could do this my damn self. And that's been my attitude all my life. I do this myself. Fuck this. So, uh, so one of the most pivotal West Coast groups in history was birthed from you getting pissed off at Run DMC. Yeah, I was. So I was. I wasn't mad at them. I just was mad at the fact that he didn't give a damn about my microphone enough to put it, get handed to him. He, you know, he drives. He, that's what he does. He drives the microphone. That Obama shit. And uh, this microphone, this microphone is cheap. <laughs> the motherfuckers, they they can't stand that shit. And he still does it today. I, I got a video of him doing it in my Even the Dark documentary where he still drops the microphone, walk off the stage. Well, that little motherfucker in the microphone I had couldn't stand a dropping, and it Let broke. Me ask you this, Back at that time with the cash he was running with, is it a possibility that Ron could have got his ass whooped in the club that night? Nah, 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 nah. Um, you know, uh, we weren't that, man, we weren't that volatile. I tell you what, what was going to cause the problem, though. Um, we first brought Curtis Blow to Eve After Dark. Uh, people thought Curtis Blow was some real, real tall brother. Curtis was like five six, five seven. They thought it was big, tall brother. And uh, niggas was upset. Who the fuck is that little motherfucker? <laughs> and we started rapping. It cooled out. But for a minute, it got a little hairy there for a minute. But that's real shit. You know, Curtis, me and Curtis, we talk all the time. I ain't never told him that. I, I saved that for my document, mother documentary. But yeah, he, uh, you know, it was a little disappointing size wise. But when he finally came out, because the voice is so big, you think he was, you know, a much bigger dude. And uh, it wasn't until he started rapping until the shit really just like, okay, cool, all right, it's chill. That's crazy, man. Curtis Blow, shout out to Curtis Blow. We had to get him on the show too, man. Much love, good dude, good dude. So when we talk about, man, now you have this idea to build this group the world-class wrecking crew. Did you go out and recruit each member personally? Nope. They just fell in my lap. They just fell in my lap. Uh, Yella came first. I had another guy out of, uh, from the neighborhood DJ with me, Dr. Rock. He left and moved to Texas. 
Uh, Yella came in right following week, uh, never left. Uh, clientele, I met him at the, at the Eva to Dark um, uh, contest. He won a contest at Eva to Dark. I brought him on the team. And Dre, he came in as a customer and uh, got up on the turntables and did a mix that was so dope. I'm like, dude, you need to stick around for a minute and eventually join the team as well. Wow, that's crazy, man. So let's go back. You mentioned somebody, Dr. Rock. We about to break, I'm about to educate some people on some things. Dr. Rock was real instrumental in the career of DOC. Yes, sir. If I'm not mistaken, he went down to Texas and that's, they ran across each other, am I correct? Correct. Um, we were, a crew, Wrecking Crew blew up in uh, LA. We were doing shows in Texas. We get to Texas. Dr. Rock is over there rocking with Tom Joyner on the on the uh, on the morning on the uh, mix show, and uh, shit, we meet. He got a group. He got a rap group now called the Feel the Fresh Crew. And shortly after that, Dr. Rock and uh, the Feel the Fresh Crew came to, came to the studio to do some for Dre to do some beats with him. And next thing I know, he was on he was on ruthless shit. <laughs> you know, in fact, um, some of the shit I forgot, Doc had to remind me of this shit because when he did this documentary, he called me to be in this documentary. I'm like, nigga, why am I in your documentary? He said, nigga, you was part of my shit too. Oh, no shit, you're right. So yeah, it's all good. Dr. Rock. That's dope, man. So you got clientele, you got Dr. Dre. So yeah. Dr. Dre was just a customer that just came with the yeah, well, you know, he came he came on uh he came recommended from one of the guys that worked for me. But I had Yella. Yella was a bad motherfucker, you know, and I wasn't I wasn't no slouch. We had a whole crew was DJs. Unknown, me, Yella, uh clientele, we all was DJs. I didn't need no more goddamn DJs. So but when he came in, I don't and to this day, if you if you waterboarded my ass, I couldn't tell you how he ended up on my turntables because he got up there, I don't know whether the unknown gave him permission or what, but he got on the turntables and did some shit. And uh, the shit was so dope. I had to holler at him about it. You know, what's happening with that? Blah, blah, blah. We got to kicking it. And uh, I said, come on back. with." But by that time, I was doing underground mixes and shit. I was doing a lot of bootlegs uh, uh, called Z-Rocks, which is basically uh, mixed records. It was mixed records. You look, look them up on YouTube. I was doing Z-Rocks, cut-ups, scratch parties, um, all kind of shit. And we were selling them at the swap meets. And swap meets, VIPs, all of them. And... Uh, I was looking for somebody to do some more shit. Yellow was doing most of mine. Dre uh, started working for Unknown. And then he left Unknown to start working for me doing mixes. And that was the reason why I hired him because to do the mixes. And after uh, Run DMC them came, we like, fuck this. We, I want to go legit. And that's when we made our first record, Slice. That's crazy, man. How was the market? Was the market receptive to y'all first single? You know what, dude? It was amazing, man, because uh, not even knowing it, I was always being in here, dude. I say this shit, and I, I mean this with all my heart. I don't know why God chose the path for me that He's chosen. I mean, my last job in 1979, I sold records over the phone. When I left, the, when I left, and they fired my ass finally. The only thing I took was my goddamn call list. So when I started making bootlegs, I knew all the record stores. So you was making more money, huh? dude. Because I think sometimes Lonzo, I got in on a mixtape game, kind of like at his deathbed. You remember the kind of like the death of retail? Yeah. I was dealing with maybe three or four distributors overseas, and when I tell you I was having my way, I was having my way. I was making maybe anywhere from eighty to one hundred fifty thousand dollars a month. Okay. Like, like seriously. Okay. Just off a whole bunch of stuff I was distributing at that time. Um, 
dog pound stuff. That's when Daz and Corrupt first got back together. Shout out to my boy Big A. We had some stuff going. I had cats in Japan paying me COD. Just damn right. COD. And they don't understand that. Come on, man. Come on. So I just can imagine the type of money you was making. I tell people all the time, if I had a damn time machine, I wish I could. Oh, man, come on, dude. In 1980, knowing what I know now, I would be so rich. It wasn't nothing, man. Uh, in the very beginning, we talk about 82, 83. Records were still as shit. 12 inches was still as shit. Um, I just met Steve Yano. Uh, I was out I was out making my rounds and I ran across this Asian dude down on Pico. Pico used to be the record street. Okay. It was called one stops on Pico, up and down Pico. And I would go here, drop off 50, drop off 100, drop off 50, drop off 200. And I'm in this one store. I forgot the name of South, South something. And uh, I see this Asian dude talking to. Uh, uh, yeah, this Asian dude talking to this cat behind the counter, George, my guy who I'm coming to see. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing the bootleg thing. I'm like, I was like, I'm selling dope. I don't trust nobody. Cause at the bottom of the bottom of all records, it says uh, copyright is a federal offense, some shit like that. So I'm, I'm thinking everybody's the police. So I'm waiting. He said, come on over here, man. I said, no, I'll wait. I'll wait. So uh, he finally said, bring me the records. So I bring George the records. And Steve says, I've been looking for you. I almost took off running. Nigga, what you looking for me for? I didn't know who he was. He said, I run the swap meet at the uh, Rodeo Swap Meet. And I, I know the Rodeo Swap Meet. I had bought records from him, didn't just, just didn't recognize him. And Steve became one of my major customers. It wouldn't be shit for me, man. Back in that day, I had a van. No seats in it. I had a bed. That's all I needed was a bed and some curtains. And you know why that's all I needed was a bed and curtains, right? Uh, I'd go go down to Bill Smith Custom Records in El Segundo. I'd had pick up a thousand records for Cletus at VIP. I'd pick up a couple of hundred. Uh, this number I had, I had one time I had like 10 different numbers. I would literally, the van would then be, would be loaded down. They have a pull up, pull a fucking, uh, pull up the fucking uh, a pallet and the fucking uh, forklift and I'd have to load all that shit. And man, I had to be turning slow and driving slow because my shit was damn near dragging the ground. By the time I went to see Cletus, by the time uh, Steve came by the house, I go see Kelvin. My van was up. My pockets was fat, the motherfucker. I didn't want to go to the club. Shit, that's how much money I'd make on Monday through Friday. I'd make so much money selling records during the week. I didn't want to go to the club. That's how the shit was. That's how the shit was flowing back then. Yeah, the hustle was definitely big back then. Now, as far as Dr. Dre goes, you know I'm gonna ask you some questions about Dre. Wound up becoming probably the most iconic producer in the history of hip hop. I don't even know if that can be debated. When did you realize that he had something going for himself that was out of the ordinary kind? Um, when he was when he was here, I knew he was. Welcome to Five Hundred Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos, and I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. 
There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose, I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. 
In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kind of different because he he's he staying in the studio. He didn't, I, I thought he, I think he'd be gone. He'd be back in sleep and sleep at the board or some shit. Um, he had a dedication and he had a drive that I had never seen before. I mean, he's like the first producer that I've really worked with on a regular basis. And he was the first cat that really wanted to learn how to do this shit. I mean, he would play with keyboards and drum machines. And I mean, I bought all this shit, but you want to fucking see? No, say no secrets. True story. I bought keyboards, drum machines, 808s, 1200s, 12s, uh, scratch, I mean, turntables. But I never really fuck with this shit because when I got this shit, the niggas like get out of the way. That was that was attitude. Move, I got it. DMX, they had a whole DMX, uh, Oberheim, DMX, uh, DMX drum machine, DSX uh, sequencer, OB8 um, uh, keyboard, and them niggas would not like. It was almost they couldn't they wouldn't let me touch the shit. I paid for it, but they wouldn't let me touch it. Him between him and Yella, they were so enthusiastic about the shit, and that was something that kept me going because I felt my money was a, it was an investment. Okay, nobody was trying to teach us how to do this shit. There were no classes at you know uh, at nowhere, nowhere that I knew of that taught you how to run a drum machine. Drum machines was brand fucking new. What no class learned a drum machine? What no place you know you went to go down to guitar center and they had classes for this shit. You had to learn on your own. You had to read the fucking manual and figure the shit out, huh? You had to learn on your own. Yeah, so learn your fucking own. The manual wasn't even telling you nothing. That was like reading Chinese. The manual was most of that shit was in was converted from Chinese to fucking American, which means it was a lot of times it was mis it was misquoted and shit. Mm -hmm. And you'd have to call call the fucking company to find out what how to do something. They oh they, they tell you I'm sorry the fucking uh the, the the manual is is was mistranslated. That's real shit. We had a dude named Daniel Sofer. Um, he was the first one that did, he, he did, uh, juice and surgery and, uh, he was charging me like $150 a, uh, per song to program them songs. But Dre did all the goddamn work. And I'm like, well, what the fuck am I paying him for? I'll buy a system that Dre programmed the shit. And that's basically what it was. Eve After Dark gave me the money to finance Crew Cut Records. Simple as that. The money I made at Eve After Dark, I just flipped it over to Crew Cut Records. You know, and that's how we, that's how the shit, that's how the shit trans, transitioned. And so with all these guys doing science and proof that and everything, so you kind of became like the kind of mentor around town. If you wanted to get in the record business, everybody would come to see you, am I correct? Everybody. Because see, it wasn't just about me having a studio, a club. I mean, think about this. I've been in the, I've been in the same house since 1985. Okay. It's the same house that everything you saw straight out of Compton. Same place, okay? I had another house on Carlton. My first house was on Carlton. I had a studio back there. That's when we did all the traffic jams and shit for K for K Day. Had a four track studio back there. Then I got a twelve track. Um, and then we did we did our first album demos over there. We got our first record deal with Epic. I moved over here, and we did the same same process. But because I knew all the swap meets. I knew all the VIPs. I knew all the record stores. I knew um, uh, Greg Mack. I had a club. I was giving dances. I was doing. I was doing a lot of shit 
Okay? And that because I, I didn't have a job, I could do a lot of shit. The Eve After Dark Dudo Skateland gave me the money and the freedom to be able, I had all week long to do what the fuck I need to do. I'd make money on the weekends and come back here in the studio and do some shit. I'm going to buy some shit during the week. And that's what we fucking did. It, it just, um, it was something, man, that was so unique at that time. Uh, it just made me a magnet for everybody that wanted to do something. Because wasn't nobody else giving nobody else no shot. And the last thing, the last thing I've ever been is a motherfucking hater. Anybody knows me, I'm the most open-hearted motherfucker around. That's probably why I'm still sitting over here right now. Yeah, that's real talk. I can attest to that. You know, me and you had a conversation one night about a month ago. I called you because I was watching that Michelle A. biopic, her, you know, her, her story, and they had you in the movie, and I and I felt that your portrayal was somewhat kind of like, I'm like, that's not how that went down, man. Now, let's talk about Michelle A. for a minute. You discovered, Did you discover her in the clothing store, like I said? <laughs> no, man. I, I met Michelle A. sitting right back here in this fucking studio. I met her right back here in this fucking studio. It was a big ass mixing board right here. I just got back off off a tour. Me and yelling them and just get a, did a, like four or five dates uh, outside of California. I just got off an airplane and uh, I had a date. I called my girl from the airport. Hey, I'm coming to the pad. I'll be there in a minute. Me, me and my nuts be coming. Okay, it was one of them dates we didn't have time to meet, make no friends. If you know what I'm talking about. Anyway. Um, but homeboy caught me as I was unpacking my bag or whatever the case would be. The dude's name is Smooth. I ain't seen him since then. Name is Smooth. Man, I got this girl. You ought to hear. You got to do it. Now, today, I got a roll. Come on, man. Come on, Lonzo. Please, please. You gonna get? Come on, man. Fuck it. Fuck it. Brought her over here. She stood right over here, right here, and wouldn't say shit while he was talking. I'm like, dude, you know what? This is some bullshit. I got to go. And she stood and she moved over here and started singing. I'm like, God damn and then she then uh she stopped singing and started talking god damn what the fuck happened and that was what that was it it wasn't uh uh me me in a studio oh hi i'm, I'm grandmaster lonzo i'm here to buy some socks motherfuckers ain't never seen me with no socks on okay i was being doing miami vice for miami vice was doing miami vice anyway uh when i saw that movie man i was like you know you motherfuckers why don't y'all spend a couple dollars and consult the motherfucker? Just ask a nigga a question or two and tell the story remotely right. Yeah, she worked at, uh, I, think it, I think it was May Company or Jason, one of them stores in the Fox Hills Mall. She did work there. And I would drop her off at work from time to time, but I wasn't in there shopping looking for her. And I ain't never smoked no cigarettes. And I ain't never, ever, ever had one of my female singers on no bus coming to no studio, man. I'd go get them, send Dre, fat, fat. Somebody gonna get them. Ain't no girl somebody gonna be on the bus. I don't believe in that shit. I'm outside smoking cigarettes, waiting on her to show up. She late. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. That's crazy, man. I'm glad I'm glad we got to clear that up because I told you I want to talk to you about that. I said, Lonzo, have you seen this stuff? Yet? I saw that shit, man. But anyway, you know. Wait, wait, wait. I didn't give a fuck. They paid me a big ass fat check to use turn off lights in that motherfucker. Fuck them. I'm like Cat <laughs> Williams. They, they want me to make me an asshole? Fuck it. Give me my check. So, yeah. I feel you, big dog. I feel you. So, you know, going back to Dre, man, so he pretty much got his start. Him and Yellow, because like you said, people sleep on Yellow. Yellow was a dope-ass producer. Yeah, Yellow was no joke, man. Yellow was no joke. Yellow was your OG dude. I would I would put Yellow up against Egyptian Lover any day of the week, and Uncle Jam's Army would not take the motherfucking bet. Give a damn what nobody say. It wouldn't take the motherfucking bet. 
Oh yeah, so let me ask you this, man. So this sounds like to me, you and Uncle Jam's army did have a slight robbery. Now shout out to my big bro Bobcat. I'm not getting in the middle of this stuff, Cat Daddy. I'll let you have your turn on here. But so y'all had a beef with Uncle Jam's army. You know, it wasn't so much a beef, it was like a love-hate relationship, man. Me and this dude started off together. We started off the record shack. I got him to, well, let me let me tell you the whole story. I was looking for a way to buy records wholesale. I'm trying to start my my DJ business. Well, records was kicking my ass. You had to have two of them back then. So they was six, five, six dollars a piece. I'm like, for a 12 inch, I got one album. I need, you know, I need two of them. I, I can't afford it. So I'm trying to find a way to buy records wholesale. I saw an ad in the paper, new record store coming in town, uh, a distributor. Fuck it, I'm gonna call the motherfuckers up and see where I can buy some records wholesale. They wouldn't sell me records wholesale, but the dude that answered the phone, his name was Alonzo too. So we kicked it. We kicked we hit it off big time. Nigga offered me a job, but I didn't even miss it, but I didn't even meet my ass. I said, no, nah, man, I don't want no job because I was working at Kenny's Shoes right there on Rosecrans and Central. I had a good deal because I get off every Friday and Saturday at six o'clock. Gave me plenty enough time to get my truck loaded up and go do my gigs. I don't want to fuck that up. So I turned Roger on to the job. Roger from Uncle Jam's Army. He had just got fired from uh VIP in uh uh in the in the Carson Mall. So I turned him on to the job. He got the job. So a couple weeks later, they had a spot in the in the in the uh warehouse and uh during the daytime. I, I didn't work record shack I mean uh Kenny's during the daytime during the week. I was like, well, fuck it, I do that. So we worked working together. Later on, they they offered me a job. I had a job, I had a job for Caltrans on the freeway, the whole nine yards, and I didn't want the motherfucker, but I was gonna take it because I had a kid. My old man was on my ass and shit. I'm like, ah, fuck. I'm going to go do this. Go down to Caltrans. I told God, if I see an omen, I ain't. I don't want this motherfucking, I don't want this job, but I, if I got to go, I go. But if, if I... Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose, I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. If I see a way out, I'm taking it. And sure enough, when I got ready, go, they gave me my shirt, my helmet, my orange shirt, every fucking thing. And when it came down to the last piece of paper for the insurance, I couldn't start without the insurance. To me, that was my omen. I went back to Record Shack. Said, y'all still with me keep, keep this job? I said, cool. They said, cool. So Monday morning, after I told my daddy I wasn't going to Record Shack, he cussed me the fuck out. 
Cuss me out. I've been, I've been this little homie all my life. My old man ain't called me nothing but champ all my life. But now I'm a dumb motherfucker because you got a kid in the house and you finna go work for some records. Fuck that. That's, you a stupid motherfucker. But keep it 100. I took the job at Record Shack. That morning I got the Record Shack. Roger wasn't working there. They had fired his ass that Friday. I didn't know. I didn't know. They gave me his desk. His phone, his list to call. First motherfucker called me at Record Shack was Roger. I answered the phone, man. How you got my? Why you at my desk, man? What's what, what's going on? I'm like, dude, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I have no idea. Where you at, man? Oh man, they fired me. Oh, you work? You, you with them motherfuckers? You with them motherfuckers? No, man. I, I didn't, nigga. I didn't know. Okay, I did. He think I'm on some backstabbing shit, nigga. I didn't do that. So a few months later, they brought the nigga back in. We was cool for a minute, but he never forgot that shit. He always felt I, I, I doubled back on him or something. They fired five people that day and hired six more. And while while we did record shack, we got back together again. While we was we both in the sales room now, and that's when he came up with the idea about doing Alpine Village. But see, by that time, I was already doing good as a DJ, and here here was my problem was because. <laughs> I got a brand new van. This is 1970, 77. I got a 1976 van. Everybody knew I had my own house. They didn't know how I got the motherfucker. They just knew I had my own house. I'm clean every day. Because back then, niggas, niggas wore hard sole shoes. And I got on hard sole shoes and Nick Nick shirts and seamless pants and shit. Because I'm in air conditioning. I can come to work clean and go home clean. I ain't got to go home. I just go straight to my girl's house. I just go to my house my girl waiting on me. Whatever the case may be. And uh, then we, we topped it all off. Came time to get paid. We got paid every Wednesday. Uh, I'd, go in the I'd go in the warehouse and pull a bunch of records give them to the lady do the payroll and she might give me $20. I was only making a hundred and sixty something dollars bring home. Okay. But I didn't give a shit because if I can make it to Friday, I'm going to get 150 Friday night for doing the dance. I'm going to get another 150 for doing a party on uh, Saturday. If I do a baby shower, that's another hundred. So I'm making 350, 400 every weekend because ain't nobody got no competition. I ain't got no competition. I'm busy the motherfucker. Plus, my partner's daddy owned a print shop, made a printing right there on 110th and uh, uh, Main Street. I would go through the wedding reception shit, who getting married, call people up. Hey, man. And because I had a broadcast license, that was my shit. I'm a licensed DJ. I'm Alonzo Williams. Just go, Alonzo. I'm licensed DJ. Blah. I, I stayed busy. So I didn't need the little record shack money. So you was just pretty much doing that to keep pops off your ass? Keep pops off my ass. <laughs> and just like he said, they fired my ass after about six, seven months. And but by that time, Alpine was cracking. And I just made up my mind. I said, you know what? I'll never put another motherfucker between me and my livelihood again. Fuck that shit. See, getting pissed off sometimes, if you got the means to get shit done, that I get pissed off. I fuck a motherfucker. Okay? I don't give a shit. And when they fired my ass, I was so glad I had a job. Cause I had a car note. I had a van. My van wasn't paid for. I had to pay that van note. And I had a kid. And they gave me about $700. You know, back then they hold a check and payroll, you know, uh, vacation and shit. And they gave me about 700 bucks. And uh, about a month later, I opened Eve after dark. 
I ain't never had a job since then. So you was crazy. So I, I want to go back, man, before we, I don't want to run out of time. So I want to make sure we talk about all of this, man. So Dre is in the studio pretty much learning to do what he does, to, to do what the man does on your equipment. This was Dre's um, music school, his production school. This was everything. This was everybody's. Man, look, Dee Barnes was here every day. Her partner, the group Body and Soul, lived here. She rented the room from me. Rose rented the room from me. Dee Barnes was here every day. Um, Coolio, um, young, e, uh, a broke Easy E driving a fucking Sam Suzuki Samurai. His son, Lil E, four, five years old. Um, Body and Soul be over here rehearsing. DJ Pooh would be here before he made any kind of shit. Uh, shortly after that came MC8 and Chill. And they were some gangsters, straight up gangsters out of fucking, uh, fucking Compton. Shortly after that, uh, Laylaw was here with Above the Law. I mean, ain't many people out of Compton ain't been through the studio. Let me ask you this, Lonzo. Now, you had all of the top people from Compton. Have you ever thought to think, man, you know, you had one of the first major record deals with Epic, right? Yeah. Why didn't you just take all of them dudes from Epic? Well, understand this, dude. See, the, here's the problem, Doc. Uh, I took CIA to Epic. Larkin Honor was my was my executive producer, brother behind Luke. people know who CIA was. CIA is Ice Cube. It's, it's Jinx, Ice Cube, and KD. Kid Disaster. They I got them signed before Wrecking Crew got signed. They got a single deal uh, on Epic. Okay? The problem was, Doc, the, the caliber of people I was fucking with. I'm fucking with Larkin Arnold. These dudes got NAACP awards, man. I'm fucking with Gerald Busby. Gerald Busby's brother-in-law was the one that brought Cameo to Eve After Dark. Uh, Gerald Busby gave me Cameo to come to Eve After Dark to set Eve After Dark off. I knew Gerald Busby like I know you, okay? So I'm from Compton. Dude, how do I take a group called Niggas With Attitudes to Gerald Busby in Century City? Tell me how I do that. I got a group called Niggas with Attitudes. They're going to throw me out the 22nd floor, man. It wasn't the shit that motherfuckers think it wasn't that kind of time yet. This, even with priority, all the shit that they had to go through, these brothers wasn't going to let them do that like that. We couldn't even say, dude, we couldn't even say ass. We had to go back in the studio on one of our records uh, called um, House Calls. We did House Calls. And just the fact that we insinuated, I'm going to whoop your ass. We had to go back and edit it. All you can hear is the ah, okay? So the whole fucking record industry was totally different then, man. It was totally different in 1985 when we got our record deal. Now, once them niggas blew up, everybody was calling me. Can you get me, can you get me on the Dre? I got 200 grand if you want. If you can get a Dre over here. But they wasn't going to take that chance. They was corporate dudes. Corporate, 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 black corporate mu music industry was not going to be the one to break a group like N.W.A. It was bitches and hoes. Come on, yeah, see the Lord's talking about having a field day with the ass with priority. You know, speaking of you know, speaking of Dre, you named D. Bars, man. Uh, what were your first thoughts when that little situation happened with them? You know, they had the whole beef with you. And uh, got and dude, I had talked to D. Before the shit even jumped off, she was so she was scared because she didn't edit that shit. I think she whatever what happened whatever happened, I think she interviewed 
Dre them first and they start talking shit and Cube saw it and said some shit or it might have been vice versa. Whatever, whatever came out, it was reversed to make it more fucked up. But no matter what happened, she wasn't the one that did it. Okay? Same tactics they use on the internet today. <laughs> Same shit they do today. Mm -hmm. Same shit they do. They, they, play, they edit motherfuckers against each other. Okay? Um, she did not set it up that way. She did an interview with one group, did an interview with... Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. 
His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. With, with, uh, with somebody else, and uh, either they it let them see it, it let Cube see it, and got, he had a chance to diss them uh, before, without... You know, whatever the case may be, and that's what pissed them off. Okay, and but I was surprised, man, because everybody, everybody would, would be at my house on a regular basis. My house was a motherfucking house party. So you never saw one of them violent I saw him get upset a couple of times because he had a couple of crazy ones, but I never seen him put hands on nobody. No. Yeah, I think sometimes, man, you know the fact, like you said, somebody can go out and make a movie. And they can just be tail they side and do all that embellishment. You know, that that's almost goes beyond embellishment. Some of the things they do in these movies, you know, they really tear down right. character. Right. You know, um, I heard some things, but I never I never witnessed because again, contrary to popular belief, give a damn what they say in straight out of Compton, Michelet story. We didn't drink and smoke around this motherfucker back then. Well nobody wasn't no alcohol around this motherfucker. Never, never, ever, ever. Wasn't because they couldn't, they just didn't. They was all, understand this, everybody was young. Dre, when I met Dre, he was like maybe 18, okay? He couldn't even drink legally. And at that time, if he'd, if he'd have been trying to drink around me, I'd have checked his ass because you're too young. This is my house. You can't do certain shit in my house. I was, that, I was that big brother. I was that dude, okay? Yellow ain't never smoked a drink shit, Okay? Weed wasn't even a big factor that weed kind of played out, dude. I mean, weed wasn't even a big deal back then. We're talking about the 80s, right before crack. My boy, my neighborhood, my boy was thinking weed. He was thinking weed like a motherfucker, but he it, it wasn't that it wasn't it was different kind of shit. It wasn't as it was like it wasn't it wasn't chronic. It wasn't um it hadn't played out, but it was it was really not as big a deal as it is right now. Plus, it was a big, it was much, a much, much bigger deal to be caught with the shit. It wasn't worth the hassle. Yeah, they were people in jail back then. It was like a niggas up still. So, um, and I didn't even see no forty ounces around here till I got with the uh, my youngsters till eight and uh, eight chill and uh, and the uh, eight chill 
and the sound control mob mob introduced me my backyard my studio to 40 ounces because my when i take my trash out it was all glass okay it was all glass all, all of them all of them he'll tell you about that shit okay they was you know that's what they did but again because i i carried my shit a certain way i had bloods and crypts here on a regular basis and i ain't never had a i've never had a fight no bone shootings in my pad none of that shit okay they all respected what I was trying to do. And that's the same thing in Evil the Dark. It was always a respect thing. You give me mine, I'm gonna give you yours. Okay? And that's what that's what that's been always been my my calling card. I call Cat Mr. So-and-so right to this day. I ain't got to, but I just do. Okay, so motherfuckers respected what I was what I was doing. They understood what I was doing back in the studio. And they may not come to the club, but they knew at my house it was it was a, a no-fly zone. Easy would come here after he blew up. And he'd be at some girl's house all night and lie, say he would have been at the studio or some shit like that and had them two big ass Samoans meet him over here because he knew he could come over here and when nobody going to fuck with him. Yeah, some, some big motherfuckers. Jake and John, them some big motherfuckers. You know, well, let's, let's talk about Easy for a minute, man, because you kind of plugged Easy up with Jerry Heller, right? Yeah. You're going to do Easy to Jerry Heller. So is it true that Easy E paid somebody paid to um, meet Jerry? When Easy, when you see straight out of Compton, you saw Easy and Dre in front of Compton City Hall. Easy got him out of jail, right? What they don't show you is Lonzo got him out twice before the end. The reason why he was in jail, because Lonzo had co-signed for Dre to buy a car, get a car, a RX-7 that Lonzo used to own. I upgraded to a BMW. Dre wanted my RX-7. I co-signed. Like I was his uncle, sold him the car. And Dre liked flying up and down the street, but he wouldn't go to court. He wouldn't go to court. He'd get tickets and wouldn't go to court. So back then, a warrant was $161. That was, that's all it was. $161. But $161 in 1985, 84, 85 was a nice piece of change. Okay? Trust me, it was. And first time we had something to do, I wouldn't got him out of jail. Second time, I think we had to be in the studio. I got him out of jail. Third time, I'm like, we ain't got nowhere to go. I ain't, my money is tight. I got to pay your car note. I can't come get you. And he had uh, one of his girls call Easy. And Easy came and got him out of jail. And the understanding was that he would do some beats for Easy in exchange for getting him out of jail. No problem. Only problem was the beats. I let you use the drum machine. But when you push record in the studio, I need to get paid. It's $25 an hour. And that's what it was. So easy being a dope dealer that he was. I told the story a thousand times. Tell you again, just so motherfuckers know. Being the kind of dope dealer that he was, he kept his money in the sock. He kept some change in his pocket. So after I want to get paid, he goes to his he go to his pocket. No, nigga, go to your sock. He look, nigga, easy walk around like, like he had an ankle bracelet on. Be so much money in his goddamn pocket. And I'm like, dude, uh, can I get my money? Oh, man, I give you 40 bucks. Nigga, I'm not a crackhead. Give me my fucking money. So we would go back and forth. He, we laugh and joke. And it would be a, uh, it would be an issue, but it wouldn't be an issue. Oh, I got you. I got you. So finally, he wanted something from me. Jerry Heller had got messed around there and got us, uh, found us some money. We got a CBS deal. He had found us some money at the union. And Dre and yelling at him, oh, my God, hey, Jerry Heller, Jerry Heller. He was not manager yet, but he, he did this as a favor. And when he did it, we signed him as our manager. 
So because um, he got found us like this like fifteen hundred dollars a piece, he found us uh, at the union. Um, he said he wanted to meet him. Okay, cool. I nigga, uh, this is I, I give you five hundred bucks. Nigga, fuck, why the fuck you gonna pay me? Much you owe me to get do you a favor? No, that's stupid. All right, I I kick his man. Welcome to Five Hundred Greatest Songs a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. 
In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Extra shit. All right, now, nigga, you talking my language. And that's basically what it was. It wasn't so much he gave, I give you five and about, no, 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 no. Nigga, I I, owe you, I know I owe you, but if you hook up with Jerry, I'm going to pay you right now and give you a little something, something on top of that. And it was just a motherfucking introduction. Now, did I think the introduction was going to be um, change his hip-hop history? No fucking way. Because Jerry didn't want to meet him. And I don't give a fuck what he say. Living the dead, he was concerned about that fucking me. Ah, oh, man, he's not saying he's, he's not like you guys, man. He 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 wears tennis shoes and jeans. He, dude, I'm telling you. But nobody gonna believe my ass because nobody knows the fucking know but me because I'm the only one there. Jerry dead easy dead. I ain't got the lie to kick it. So Jerry didn't really want to mess. He didn't want to fuck with him because he was used to fucking with me. He was uh, Jerry already managed Egyptian Lover. His partner managed L.A. Dream Team. He had just signed World Class Wrecking Crew. So, and if anybody know all about us, we was dance groups, okay? And Easy was a street dude. And Jerry had never dealt with a street dude before. You know, you guys carry briefcases and, you, you know, you understand business. I don't, he don't understand business. You know, he gives me, pays me in cash, man. I, you know, I give him a fucking check. He did, it was totally different culture shock. He had never dealt with that before. In fact, when, when Easy, when Jerry finally... Started uh, right before he made a decision to mess with Easy. He says, Lonzo, um, man, ask, ask me a question. I said, what's that? He says, how does the guy from the valley, handle, how, how does the Jewish guy from the valley deal with a group called Niggas with Attitudes? And I told him very carefully. And he had doubts about this shit, man. And you know what? I watched his, I watched his interviews and... You know, I I watch his interviews. I watch other interviews. I'm like, you know, I get so tired of motherfuckers acting like they invented hip hop or they was. Oh, I saw, I just saw. I'm, get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. If he was alive, I'd say the same thing. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. Jerry they, in the movie straight out of Compton. Jerry is carrying records and showing Easy how to get the fuck out of here. Jerry Heller ain't carrying no records in Macola, no place else. No, it ain't gonna happen. Well, let me, you know, while we're on the topic of easy, man, we were talking earlier. And you always keep it 100 bonds. Why ain't trying to get into no speculus, you know, no speculation or no kind of controversy or, you know, but 
Easy's death was kind of strange. I always found it strange in the fact that with all the women that he had, none of those women turned up to be HIV positive. You didn't have a rash of um, positive cases. You know, in LA County during that time, it was easy was making his rounds. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was doing his thing. Do you think, man, it's a possibility, man, that he was done dirty, that he was set up? You know what? Um, for a person who diagnosed uh, on uh, I, I, for time for for, for sim simplifying the time code the time situation for a person who was dead who was dead diagnosed on the first on the first of the month and was dead three weeks later that don't even sound right to nobody man not from AIDS because understand AIDS understand AIDS most of y'all ain't gonna remember this shit I remember like it was yesterday first person I ever heard die from AIDS was Rock Hudson he was an actor. And it was months, every fucking day on Channel 2, I believe it was, Jerry Dumphy would give a report on Rock Hudson and his his age situation. Today, Rock Hudson is resting comfortably at his Beverly Hills home as he uh, suffers from complications from AIDS. That went on forever, and he finally died. Easy get AIDS on the first of the month. Before he can get, for the 15th come, he out of here. They wrote this bullshit letter that nobody believes where he wrote that letter. Ain't nobody seen the death certificate. No, it was no autopsy. Once he got married, the uh, autopsy was a white. You know, this is known fact: the wife could, uh, a wife or religious, religious reasons can can um, overshadow a, 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 a autopsy. Um, nobody really got the chance to see him that much before he before he checked out, and. Uh, it just the whole situation, man, was just really, was really like, huh? What the fuck? He was at my house, maybe I don't know, six weeks before he was dead, maybe six weeks. He looked healthy, the motherfucker. But you know, when you think about that kind of shit, man, and the kind of money he represented and shit he was going through, you don't know what's going on, man. I can't say what happened, but I know it. It, it never sat right with me. Well, let me ask you a question, man. Allegedly, he had got rid of Jerry Ellen. And I've heard from people that are reliable sources that they were talking about getting the group back together. You know, people that met, they had met up. You know, they were talking about yeah, bringing yeah, the group back together. Yeah. So when you talk about millions of dollars, man, being generated, and you got the possibility of him reuniting back with Dr. Trey, man, Ice Cube, that probably would have been the biggest selling album of all time. Very possible. During that time period, you know, you get Cube back in the studio. And this is after all, after they've accomplished and Cube has become the mogul that he was setting out to be. And right. he got all that power. That represents a lot of money, man. So it's very possible. And, you know, I think even just thinking about Jerry Heller being the one, you got so many different people that play with this, man, that that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. Man, I was telling your boy earlier, I said I, I look at hip-hop and R&B and so many of the uh, superstars most of our superstars died under suspicious, <laughs> suspicious fucking causes, man. They find Prince in the elevator, dead on fentanyl. Michael Jackson dies from, from an overdose of uh, propofol. Whitney Houston dies in a bathtub. You know, but you got folks that's been doing drugs since the 50s. They still kicking and making you know music. Can I tell you something that's deep, Delonzo? <laughs> What's that? And this is something that I'm working on right now. Uh, I want you guys to look this up. Look up this name when you, when you get a chance. Internet's... Uh, Raffles Van Exel. 
Raffles Van Exel is a guy that was around all of these people. He was around Bobby Brown and Whitney. He was like that consigliere kind of, mm -hmm. he's the one that got the dope for him. Mm -hmm. He was around Michael Jackson. He was around Prince. As a matter of fact, this dude just got $5 million from Prince's estate. Now, how's a guy that comes over here, man, um, he used to date the dude that runs TMZ, the Harvey Levin dude. Mm. Harvey Levin dude. Look at that name, Raffles Van Exel. It's deep, man. It gets deep out there. So the stuff with Easy man, is very plausible. It's very plausible, man, if somebody gave him a hot dose or something. Plausible probably that he didn't die of AIDS. None of his kids got it. Nah, he had kids before he got uh he this girl just got pregnant, was pregnant with his, his daughter, if I ain't mistaken, before he died. So uh you know it's it's dude, it's it's always been under the shadows, man. Always been under the shadows. Johnny J, the producer for uh Tupac. I mean, shit, he was in jail two weeks ago. Ended up taking a nosedive off the second floor in the county jail. I mean, you got some bad some bad dudes had some bad shit happen to him, man. Yeah, it was, man. Always uh, questionable. You know what? Even when you look at the Tupac and Biggie cases, them cases don't been unsolved for the longest. And, and what's so crazy is you could ask any kid riding out if you around the corner who did what to who, and they could tell you. Mm. But the police can't figure it out. Mm. You know, man, so Lonzo, I know you got a big presence online, man. Tell the people, man, where they can go find you. You actually got something going on with one of my childhood superheroes, um, Dr. Dre. Yeah, man. Um, I do. I do a lot of podcasts. I do a couple of different podcasts. Uh, one is called uh, NWA Stories with Lonzo. Every Tuesday, I do it with my boy Dusty Vision. <clears throat> and um, check it out on YouTube. Uh, like, uh, subscribe, like, share. Uh, on Thursdays, I do uh, Legendary Connects with me and Dr. Dre for UMTB Raps. And you get a, a old school. You get two old school East Coast, West Coast veterans kicking it on various issues. And sometimes we argue and debate. That's that's what the fun fun part about it. He see it from an old school perspective. I do too, but it's from the East Coast versus West Coast thing. And it always makes for a hot topic. And then also I have an app called the Compton Entertainment app, Entertainment Chamber app available on Android and iPhone. Uh, cause I'm the president of the Compton Entertainment Chamber of Commerce and I'm working on the, on the Walk of Fame to show love to all my folks that made Compton what it is. So please support that. And um, that's the Compton Entertainment Chamber. It's an app, iPhone and uh, Android. And we're going to bring a, a walk of fame to the city of Compton. That's going to be dope. That's incredible, Miles. Of course, man. Thanks for sitting down with us, man. Much love. You know how we do it. Peace, folks. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. 
You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart and I'm very forgiving, but like don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.